A good near of Shabbos to our friends and members of the Westmount Shul. This week is Parshas Vayechi, where we, those in Shul will stand up at the end of the Parsha and say, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazek. Let us be strengthened. And therefore, it's a Shabbos of strengthening. I want to call your attention to something that's been in the news lately. Recently, New York State has officially legalized so-called human composting, making it the sixth state to allow human beings to authorize turning their remains into organic material after they die, mostly for the benefit of local flora and fauna. This past Shabbos, the governor of New York signed less legislation uh, allowing this to happen as it's called an environmentally friendly means of decomposition. They say rather than cremating or embalming a deceased person and placing him or her in a casket, this process is billed as natural organic reduction, which involves placing the deceased in a reusable receptacle filled with organic materials such as wood chips, alfalfa, or straw, infusing the receptacle with heat and oxygen, and allowing microbes to decompose the body naturally. All remaining teeth and other bone fragments are then ground up and mixed in the composted material as well. Now, the proponents say that a single human body can yield as much as a cubic yard of nutrient-dense soil amendment which is really equivalent to about 36 bags of soil, okay? And they say that natural, um, that normally a human corpse takes eight to nine years to rot, but natural organic reduction supposedly just takes a few weeks. So it makes it very appealing to those living in urban areas where burial space is limited, and as well as being environmentally conscious. They also say cremation uses fossil fuels, and burial uses a lot of land. It has a carbon footprint. Well, this started all in 2019 with the liberal state of Washington being the first one to legalize human composting. And uh, this is definitely something that the Catholic Church is not happy about. So what does Judaism have to say? Okay, now, before I tell you what Judaism has to say, you know, remember the rule of thumb I've always taught you, follow the money. Okay, according to an organization called Recompose, human composting option costs $7,000. And of course, they say it provides people the opportunity to give Mother Earth one final parting gift. Okay, so obviously the people involved in that have a lot to gain in the money that they make. But forget about that. Let's see what the Torah has to say about this. And obviously this week's Parsha fits in very well to this idea. In this week's Parsha, Yaakov calls Yosef over and asks him to be buried in Eretz Yisrael, which to which Yosef says, sure thing, Abba. 
But Yaakov was not satisfied. He forced Yosef to swear to him that he would do this. And the question is, why did he have to ask Yosef to swear? Yosef was a tzaddik. Yosef was a man of his word. Why did he have to insist on Yosef swearing, which he did? That's question number one. Question number two, when we come to the end of the parsha, we have a rule. We always like to end the Talmud or all areas of Torah with a pleasant, pleasant statement. And the question is, if we look over here in this parsha, we see that the last Pasuk says, Yosef died at the age of 110 years. They embalmed him and was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Chazak, chazak, v'niz chazak. Now, that's kind of disturbing. Couldn't Sefer Breshis have concluded on a more inspiring note, just like the other four books of the Torah? Let's say even the final book of the Torah, which concludes with Moshe's passing, but it still culminates with a eulogy so rarely moving that it leaves one with an unforgettable impression of Moshe. And therefore, for thousands of years, rabbis placed a special attention to concluding everything with something that's happier. Yet, the first book of Bereshis ends with a very gloomy and despairing punchline, Yosef's death and burial. Now, even if the Torah, you know, felt compelled to end it with Yosef's death, it could have ended with the second to last Pasuk, where Yosef tells his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will indeed remember you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Avram, to Yisra, and to Yaakov. You will bring my bones up out of here. Finished. At least that would have ended the Savior with a promise for future redemption. What? Are, why we add those final words? Yosef died and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And this is supposed to give us inspiration to say, Chazak, Chazak, Veniz, Chazak. A very disturbing question. And finally, it doesn't make sense. If Yaakov said, bury me in Eretz Yisrael, so why wouldn't Yosef want to be buried in Eretz Yisrael right now? I mean, Yaakov didn't say, okay, you bury me now, and when you leave, and when you leave Egypt, take me with you. No, he said, there's no way I could be buried here. And why Yosef said, no, I could be buried here and then later in Eretz Yisrael. How do we understand all this? So first, let us deal with the issue of the composting. And to understand an interesting idea, where Rashi here says, when Yaakov said to Yosef, he says, do with me a chesed and an emes. Do a kindness and a truth. And the Talmud learns from here that the truest kindness one can do is by burying a person because you don't expect to get paid back from the person. That's why it's called a chesed shalemis. You have, never know if a chesed is honest and true because maybe we're expecting paybacks. But one thing's for sure, if somebody buries you, you're never going to be able to pay him back. Okay, that is true. But now let me share a story with you said by Rabbi Elchanan Zon, who's a very um, high-profile person in the area of Jewish burial and has done a lot to advance the cause of things being buried in the most proper way according to Jewish law. He tells the following story. It was late on a Saturday night, a few hours after the end of Shabbos, when he arrives at a funeral home to perform a tahara, to wash and dress the body of an old Jewish man for burial. 
And the Hevra Kedisha is a group of responsible people who take care of this. And this rabbi says he was particularly inspired to do this tahara because this man has been described to him that's being buried as a real tzaddik by a person who should have uh, this knowledge. Um, his wife of many years told this story. And she told the husband in a, in a heavy Yiddish accent he had been a veteran of World War I and never missed a day of putting on his tefillin while in the United States Army. So therefore, Rabbi Zon was completely taken by surprise when the funeral director informed Rabbi Zon that the person who passed away after the tahara, usually you put the body in the casket. But they were told, leave the body on the table and don't place in the casket after the traditional tahara so he could be dressed in his suit by the funeral director on top of the traditional burial shroud that they would be dressing him. So Rabbi Zon is stunned. What a contradiction. To have this tzaddik dressed in a suit. We know Jewish tradition, we just dress in the tahara, nothing else. He thought how unfitting it is for a man who is so committed to following Jewish law under the most trying circumstances to be not denied the special beauty and meaning inherent in Jewish traditional burial. So he was sure there was a mistake. After he received consent from the funeral director to call the wife, and as soon as she realized why the rabbi was calling, she began to cry. He said, it's not me who wants it. I know it's wrong, but it's my daughter. She insists that her father be dressed in a suit, and I can't fight with her anymore. So the mother gave the daughter's number, but she said, you're wasting your time. Rabbi Zon called, and as soon as he introduced himself as a rabbi, he understood his call was not welcome. She knew why the rabbi was calling. She had no interest in discussing the issue. So the rabbi said, listen, the decision is yours. But the rabbi said, I'm a bit confused because your father's commitment to pray and put on tefillin while serving in the U.S. Army during World War I seemed rather heroic. And then it appeared throughout his life he was a truly observant man. Why then should we want him buried in a suit which was contrary to Jewish tradition? So she answered like this. Rabbi, you didn't know my father. In fact, he was a very orthodox man who went to shul three times a day and was observant to the best of his ability. But the love of his life was his clothes. She said like this, you see, my father was the nattiest dresser who ever lived. That means very fancy dresser. Since his retirement many years ago, his greatest joy was to go shopping and build a wardrobe second to none. Every night he spent a half an hour or more laying out his clothing for the next day. His shirt had to match the socks and the shoes had to match the belt and everything had to be just perfect. He only wore the finest clothes, and so I cannot see my father being buried in a shroud. Well, Rabbi Zon now understood and was convinced that the daughter truly loved and respected her father and wanted to send him to the next world in the way she felt he would have wanted to go. So Rabbi Zon, he conveyed his understanding and requested that she answer a couple questions. So Rabbi Zon asked her, what did your father wear when he went to sleep 
And she said he wore the finest silk pajamas. Then he asked, what did he wear when he went swimming? And she immediately answered, the most expensive designer trucks. Then Rabbi Zone asked her, why her father, why would your father not wear the suit that he had brought to the funeral home when he went to bed? Or why wouldn't he wear the suit when he went swimming? At this point, the woman became upset and said, Rabbi, are you making fun at a time like this? And he said, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to make a very important point. Your father was always concerned to be appropriately well-dressed. Have you given any thought as to what might constitute appropriate dress for the occasion of burial? And Rabbi Zon went on to explain the Jewish belief that when we die, the neshama, the soul, appears before Hashem for the last judgment to ask to be forgiven as well as to ask for the needs of our family and others. And in light of that, what better way to be dressed than to wear the same set of clothing worn by the Kohen Godel, the high priest, when he entered the holiest of holies on Yom Kippur. And Rabbi Zon explained that the traditional burial shroud is a beautiful full set of clothing, including a hat, shirt, pants, jacket, or kittle, and belt. And that's what the Kohen Godel would wear on Yom Kippur. And this set of clothing is generally available in fine linen, sewn by hand, or simple muslin sewn by machine. The fine linen set most closely resembles that worn by the coin godel, and for other Kabbalistic reasons as well, is the preferred set. And the rabbi pointed out that because her father was to be dressed in a suit over the shroud, the funeral director chose to have us dress him in the cheaper muslin shroud. Now the rabbi clinched it. He says this was certainly something her father, the nattiest dresser ever lived, would not have chosen as his last set of clothing. Well, she began to cry and asked that Rabbi Zon leave the suit for her to pick up at the funeral home at the time of the funeral. We went on to do a full tara with a set of linen shrouds. And in fact, it was one of the most meaningful, inspiring experiences Rabbi Zon had as a member of the Hevra Kedish. Now, what does this all have to do with the Parsha? Well, let's see, contrasting this story with the story of Yaakov. Yaakov, an old man, is dying. He knows that his time on earth is drawing to an end. He seeks to ensure the fulfillment of his wishes that after his death, he be buried in Eretz Yisrael. He calls Yosef the most capable of fulfilling his request. He asks for a total commitment. He asks him to swear. Why? Because swearing is not something either of them considers lightly. But his concern to see his last wishes fulfilled compels him to take this action. Now our old man is Yaakov. He summons his son Yosef, the second most powerful man in Egypt. And he says, and you will pour, perform for me a chesed ve'emes, kindness and truth. Don't bury me in Egypt. So the commentator says, what is the meaning of kindness and truth? As I've already explained, is there kindness that is false? And let me share with you a beautiful answer. One answer is, in fact, kindness needs to be guided by truth. Truth as defined by the Torah, which is known as the Torah MS, the Torah of truth. Only Torah can provide direction that's totally objective. 
and not an expression of one's own subjective bias or agenda. So the story above is a perfect illustration of that concept. The need to be guided by Torah applies to all of life's decisions. However, the decisions at the end of life may be the most difficult because we're focusing on the needs not only of the body, but of an ashama soul, which we really can't relate to. And we are preparing that person for a journey to a world that is spiritual and beyond our realm of experience. So let's think about this. Had Yosef made the decision how best to bury his great father, he might very well have decided to bury him in Egypt. As we'll see in a minute why Yosef himself buried himself in Egypt, which we'll explain in a minute. Yet, Yaakov, guided by the truth of Torah, understood, amongst other reasons, that were he to remain in Egypt, it's likely he would be deified and his place of burial become a place of unholy worship. Now there's no doubt that most of us, when faced with decisions regarding the final arrangements for burial of a loved one, are guided by a sense of kindness and a desire to do what is right. However, that subjective sense of kindness could even allow the daughter of a deeply religious man who happens to be a natty dresser to be buried in his favorite suit? Unless we're guided by the truth of Torah, we can easily make choices based on personal feelings compounded by our ignorance of the depth, the beauty, and the meaning inherent in the Jewish traditions that are followed at these times. And therefore we can understand as much as the liberals may be well-intentioned of saving the planet, they don't understand. It's not a chesed derived by MS. And therefore, we learn from the story in this week's parsha that we do a chesed shel MS. The soul needs an eternal place to rest. And therefore, Judaism, unfortunately, if you look at the statistics now, 30% of Jews in the United States are cremated. And of course, many people may have, you know, ideas of it's the kindest thing, but we know in Judaism, you want the body to be resurrected, you bury it. There's concept of immediate versus delayed burial. There's all kinds of shilas. And only a rabbi is well equipped to tell you what the chesed, that's MS is. And not by what our feelings at the time are. And really, that should not only be something that happens towards the ends of our lives or after our lives. It should be every moment of our day. Every day is a life of chesed, but it has to be a chesed of MS. It has to be Torah-guided MS and not misconstrued and misguided ideas of MS. So Yaakov had to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because he would be deified. And more than that, the Jewish people needed to know that their true homeland is Eretz Yisrael. So now we're just left with one more question. So why did Yosef insist on being buried in Mitzrayim when his father was not? And how do we explain the ending of the Parsha? So the answer is, unfortunately, we cannot live life without pain. Every life comes with challenges. We know that the very existence of the whole world is rooted in a void and a vacuum, the concealment of Hashem's infinite 
presence to allow for a human thought universe. This means that life, whichever way you twist it, is really a confrontation with a void and ultimately is going to be a painful experience. What a person must know is not how to get rid of his or her pain, because that may not always be possible but rather how to discover that they are empowered to deal with the pain and they're not alone in it. We all know about Viktor Frankl, Olova Shon, who survived three years in the concentration camps of Dachau and Auschwitz, went on to create a new school of psychotherapy called Logotherapy, and he once shared the following story. A woman phoned him up in the middle of the night and calmly told him that she was about to commit suicide. Frankel kept her on the phone and talked her through her depression, giving her reason after reason to carry on living. Eventually, she promised him she would not take her life and she kept her word. When they met later, Frankel asked her which of his reasons did she find so convincing. You know what she said? None. She said, so what persuaded you to go on living? Her answer was simple. Mr. Frankel had been willing to listen to her in the middle of the night. A world in which someone was prepared to listen to another's distress seemed to her one in which it was worthwhile to live. So now let's come to the end of this week's Parsha. Yosef died at the age of 110 years. They embalmed him and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Even though these words seem uninspiring, but one can sense a profound inspiration. Why? Because the Jewish people are about to become enslaved and subjugated by a tyrannical government that will attempt to destroy them one by one physically and mentally. And that's all going to happen in next week's Parsha. Next week's book. Next week's Sefer. It's called the Sefer Golos Ugaula, the book of exile and redemption. And we know the famous question, why do I need redemption don't put me in exile and I won't need to have any redemption. Just make sure we don't, Hashem, if you love me, just make sure we don't get into exile and then we won't have to worry about a redemption. So why is Hashem making us go through this? So we know there's a concept that every aliyah, every elevation in life needs a previous arena, needs a previous descent. Because in order to grow, just like we know, you want to plant a tree, you put a seed in the ground, it has to fall apart, has to break apart, and then from that will germinate a brand new tree. All successful growth needs some, some crisis beforehand to have us better reevaluate who we are, what we are, what our real existence is based on, and not on just phony exteriors. And Yosef knew that the Jews would be going through a very, very difficult period of time. And there certainly would be many Jews suffering such terrible, terrible cruelty from the Egyptians. Might say it's better to give up. And they say this is going to let, and it looked like it would last forever, years and years and years. But Joseph told everybody before he died, he says, I'm about to die, but Hashem will indeed remember you. And will bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. And you will bring my bones up out of here. But now as Sefer Breshis wants to choose its final words, it provides us with a message that perhaps served as the greatest strength, source of strength 
for an orphaned and broken Jewish family. It says Yosef died at the age of 110 years. They embalmed him and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. In other words, Yosef's sacred body is not taken back to the Holy Land to be interred amongst the spiritual giants of human history. Joseph's spiritual and physical presence does not escape to the heavenly paradise of a land saturated with holiness. Rather, Joseph remains in the slime pits of Egypt. He remains etched deeply into the gross earthiness of Egypt together with his beloved people. And this is based on and an ancient Jewish idea that has its roots in the Torah, that the burial place of a virtuous and saintly human being contains profound holiness and spiritual energy and constitutes a place conducive for prayer to Hashem. Because since the soul and the body retain a relationship even after they depart from each other, the space where the physical body of a holy man is interred is a place that's conducive for spiritual growth, meditation, reflection, inspiration. And therefore, the last Pusik of the Savior Bracious, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt, tells us the following. A Jew may be entrenched in Egypt and all that it represents, but Yosef is right there with him in the midst of his condition, giving him strength, blessing, and fortitude. And this is true in our lives today as well. In each generation, God plants such Yosefs in our midst, tzaddikim and rebbe's, who are there with the Jewish people in their pain and agony. And sometimes after their passing, they can help so much more. And that's what we pray by the graves of tzaddikim. But let's take it a step further. Why wait? And it's certainly something we should do. But there's a deeper concept as we see from Viktor Frankl. When we're alive, let's be a source of inspiration to people. And to realize that we're going through difficult and challenging times. It is clearly the times that are coming right before Mashiach, which are going to be the most uh, most uh, uh, challenging for us. With a lot of suffering is going to happen. And we need to draw strength from people. And we need to have people. We need to be the people who stay in the, in, the, in the trenches with those that are suffering and give them words of hope and compassion like Viktor Frankl. So we understand on the one hand, Yaakov needed to be buried in Eretz's soul so we know where the final destination is. But there we need Sadiqim with us here to keep people going till we get the final destination. And we can never be misguided with what true chesed is. And Yaakov was concerned that maybe Yosef thought true chesed was to leave Yaakov also in Eretz Mitzrayim to be able to give comfort for the Jews. But Yaakov knew better. He said, they're going to make an idol out of me. So each tzaddik did what was right. Yaakov did not tell Yosef that he must be buried, that Yosef must also be buried in Israel. Because Yaakov understood we needed both. And all their decisions, always in life and in death, was what is the chesed that's exactly emes. Certainly when we have to deal with the loss of a loved one, we want to do what's right. But often 
is a chesed of sheker. And the dead body is suffering and screaming, why are you doing this to me? But we don't hear it because we're so thinking what we're doing is chesed. But don't, we're, don't wait for people to die. Wait in your own lives. When we think we're doing certain chesodim, when they are really not chesodim, it's really a sheker. There's a time when you have to do things that may not be politically correct, but it's MS in Hashem's world. We have to be able to make those tough decisions of chesed. But it's got to be a chesed shalemis. And when we understand that going down to Egypt was the arena descent for the purpose of an ascent, and all of us in our lives when we feel broken and we have felt a descent, we should know and be certain, as I said in the Parsha class this week, that Hashem is just preparing us for something much greater. But we're never going to get there if we don't have somebody who strengthens us to hang on. And that's Yosef, Chazak, Chazak, Venis, Chazek. Rabbi Isai, let us take these words to heart and be a source of chizuk for others and look at others who need help and offer them solace, offer them an understanding of what a chesed shalemes is. And we know that the Jewish people will be redeemed when the Jewish people are doing chesed shalemes, will bring the Mashiach, bimheir of the amenu, amen, have a wonderful Shabbos.